0: Welcome, everyone, to the April 25th edition of Take to Take with myself, Luke Burrows, Nick Robinson, and Patrick Talon. Gentlemen, how are you on this Sunday? Doing good, Luke. Uh, tired from a couple of late starts out in
1: Vancouver this week, but otherwise, I'm doing well.
0: Yeah, Nick, so Vancouver is in the middle. They've played two, and they have two more to come against the Ottawa Senators, two in Vancouver, and then I guess they're all... Do you think they share a plane going back to Ottawa? They must, eh? Save on gas, that'd be fine. I feel like they would. I feel like that's something Eugene Melnick would try and <laughs> get so, in there, but game one in Vancouver, three-nothing win for Ottawa, game two to one win for Vancouver last night. And then, like I said, two more. So as a Vancouver fan, I have been experiencing a bit more sense talk than I usually do. And Nick, especially after that three-nothing win, I will ask you: are the Ottawa Senators a good team?
1: I, they've been really good post-deadline. I've really enjoyed watching them, uh, probably more than I have since they started the rebuild back in 2017-18. That's probably um, some of the best hockey I've seen them play in the past few years. So it's it's good to see. I um, wrote for Fansided this week just about their defense and how that's finally providing a bit of optimism for the team and the fan base going
2: forward. And it's nice to see.
0: So I the finishing – oh, sorry, Pat, did you have something to add on the Senators? No,
2: I just said can't relate, but –
0: yeah, we'll get there in a second. Yeah, Victor but... Mete has
2: been a nice addition.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh boy. Um, so the Ottawa Senators are finishing last in the North Division this year. Assuming um, they're in the Atlantic Division next year, where do you see them finishing?
1: It's hard to say just because, you know, the Atlantic is still so strong. You've got, you know, your Boston, your Tampa Bay, your Toronto up there. Um But it it just depends what uh, what everybody else does in the summer, I thought, you know, maybe the outlook would be a little more bleak. If Montreal um, was for real this year and came back like that next year. I'm not convinced of that. I'm sure Patrick's not entirely convinced himself at what the Habs are going to look like next year. Um, I I didn't even mention Florida who's been one of the best teams in the NHL this year. So, you know, when you're top heavy in the division like that, it's, it's pretty difficult to compete, but perhaps as Boston someday possibly soon begins to fade out of the playoff picture with that aging core, maybe that's when the senators slip in, but I still think they're looking um, from the outside in next year.
0: It's kind of funny because with years of Toronto and Boston and Tampa on top of the Atlantic in two to four years, it looks like it's going to be Ottawa and Florida, which is not not Buffalo, though. They'll still be at the bottom, but that'll be interesting. On uh, on your side, Pat, so Nick just answered, are the Senators good? And I'll ask you, are the Canadians bad? Because they, it looks like they, they entered the house of playoffs, and then they closed the door behind them, but the wind blew it open, and they didn't bother turning around and locking it, because the Flames and the Canucks are... Right there behind them, uh, Montreal lost last night, what was it, like 13-1 to the Flames?
2: Didn't finish um, the game, so I, I couldn't tell you.
0: Okay, so no it. one knows what the score of the Habs game was last night. 5-2,
2: 5-2, 5-2. Are the
0: Canadians
2: bad? Nope, they are not bad. They are perfectly mediocre, and that's the problem. Um a lot Okay, of... well, they're
0: losing to Ottawa and Calgary recently, so... You
2: know what, to be fair, a lot of teams are losing to Ottawa, so... Um, not to pull a Bergevin and get upset with the media, but Ottawa is still a hockey team in the national hockey league to quote whatever he said, but you're right. Ottawa gives them trouble. So does Calgary for whatever reason where Montreal can beat uh, Edmonton with ease and, and, you know, play relatively well against Toronto. Uh, Montreal's not a bad hockey team. They're not a good hockey team. I had high expectations this year, I think for the first time in forever, Mark Bergevin had high expectations, which he said to the media, Uh, the media had high expectations. A lot of guys had them, uh, Coming out of the North Division, a lot of guys had them finishing first. I don't see how adding the two offensive guys you did um, and Perry and the depth guys and only losing really Domi could make it worse. But again, I think it speaks to again, sorry, but the defense and I think that's the biggest downfall. So no, they're not a good, they're not a really good team they're not up there with the Toronto's but they're not as bad as Ottawa they're just perfectly mediocre. Um, Every single time they play and they get a point or they maybe win, it's harder for them to lose that playoff spot. And every single game they've had, it's been a must win. It's been like an actual character test. Okay, if you win tonight, if they won one game against Calgary, if they won last night, Calgary's playoff chances were essentially done. But could they let those two go by? They they almost blew it against Edmonton. Consistency is the biggest issue. And um, there is a chance that they actually miss the playoffs. And that would just be. You know, well, I kill. will
0: say for your sake, Patrick. I hope the Canadians do miss the playoffs. So. Are
2: you being sarcastic? Are you being genuine? Because I'm, I, I am being genuine. Game. I hope they okay. miss okay. the
0: playoffs. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, I am. <laughs> I, am I, being... I am happier if they. I will take. This is the problem, and this is what's going on, on Twitter. Is everyone says you know fans can't handle a rebuild. Fans can't handle being in the basement like Ottawa or like Toronto was a couple years ago. I think it's actually the opposite. I think most fans and Nick, maybe you can attest to this. I would take, you know, two years in the basement, two years or three years, maybe, being the worst team over, what, 20 years of pure mediocrity, the worst place to be in, you know?
1: Yeah, it depends, Um, because you can have a very quick turnaround, like Toronto, if you win a very important draft lottery like they did, Um, same things happened with New York, they've won a couple of draft lotteries now, or you can be like Ottawa and Detroit, when the process is prolonged, because you're unlucky in the lottery, it just... It depends now. We'll see how that changes now. Maybe the approach with the NHL's new draft lottery rules coming in, um, you know, favoring those bottom teams a bit more, sort of how it was back in the old days. But I I feel like Montreal fans, it's it's a lot of pressure, right? And I think... The best thing was for Toronto's rebuild was that it didn't take long. It was really only two solid years of pain right there where they were trading players out. And then obviously that 2015, 16 year where they tanked for Matthews. um, So for them, it was a very quick turnaround. I think that was good for the size of their um, market and fan base. And I think Montreal would need the same thing. They'd need to quickly turn it around because I just think based on how Montreal is as a market and the size of it and the passion there, maybe the length of Ottawa's right now where they've consistently been in the bottom two for four years running now. um, It it would be a real test. I'm not sure if the Montreal market could handle something that long.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing. Now we're seeing GM replacements. And just to touch on Toronto real quick, I think obviously Matthews, that was the big one, but I also think nailing the pick in the 2015 draft, look at the guys like who went in and around or, before Marner you had strom and then you had Hannafin, zaka provorov i think nailing the marner pick which to some extent was an obvious pick also helped sort of uh accelerate the rebuild but I think if I'm any fan i would rather a full rebuild a commitment to a rebuild than a team that maybe wins the maybe wins a playoff round probably misses gets you know consistently gets a, a mid-teen pick and again last year maybe making the playoffs probably wasn't the best thing when they could have had a high pick but again you can't control that
1: yeah, it depends what your uh, it, what your faith is in Montreal scouting and all that to quickly turn the ship around.
2: It's a whole other whole other debate.
0: <laughs> okay, Nick. So let's let's get into this, uh, and I'll preface it. I think uh, yeah, it was yesterday. Nick sent something in our show group chat about three players on each of the Vancouver Canucks and the Ottawa Senators. I think it
1: was from James Sabolski, Just so we're given credit, I think that's who tweeted it.
0: Those three players were. Elias Pedersen, Brock Besser, Quinn Hughes, Brady Kachuk, Tim Sutzla, Thomas Shabbat. and essentially, we we don't see eye to eye on ranking those six players. Nick, I will let you don't don't get too much into it, but go one to one to six there for me. Yeah,
1: well, so to be clear, I think the actual question from Sabolski was which three would you rather have the Vancouver trio you named off or the Ottawa one. Um, So I, to sort of help rank something like that, I numbered them off one to six, just thinking that would help a little bit. Um Yeah. So I went, Elias Pettersson is obviously number one. I think, I think that's pretty clear Um, the highest ceiling by far in that group and stuff like that. He, on his day is a top 10 player in the NHL, um, you can easily make that case. And then Quinn Hughes at number two, again, very high ceiling Um, and I I sort of tried to balance this out between what they can be, what they are right now, just what they are right now. I put uh, Shabbat at number three for me, um, Kachuk at four, Stutzla at five and then six uh, Brock Besser. But again, that's all very dependent on what Tim Stutzla's development ends up being. Um, And if Brady Kachuk can add more offense to his game and how far up that list he can get so but for now I'd still would probably say you gotta give the edge to the Vancouver trio just because they we we know more about them and what they are
0: so naturally I would agree uh, I also had Pedersen at the top and I made sure we were all in agreement that Pedersen will remain at the top and uh, I, I had Quinn Hughes number two because and like this year I granted this year has not been kind to him both just his his play on ice and what's happened to him off the ice, whether it's true or not. But I have Quinn Hughes as two. I had Kachuk as three. And then four and five, I will change my answer from what I said. I'll put Shabbat at four, Besser at five, Stutzla at six. And obviously this is... Right now I could absolutely see Stutzla jumping a number of spots. But that's where I have it right now. Um, now I'm going to kind of spiral off of this and involve our friend Patrick over there. Patrick, we're going to talk Habs here in a second, but before we get into that, can I hear your one to six on these six players?
2: Um. So this is tough because kind of like Nick, I tried to balance out who is the best right now and who will be the best. I think Patterson is the unanimous number one. Um, I think he's only going to get better. I still don't, I don't know if anyone on anyone else beget, becomes better than, Um, Pedersen, I had Quinn Hughes number two, because I think a number one defenseman like that who can skate and generate the offense he has. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's the absence of Chris Tanev. I'm sure that that plays a factor, but him having a down year and it is a down year, he's been brutal, but still rack up that many points as a defenseman. That's still pretty impressive. Um, this is where I kind of had some difficulty because I think it's very close between Kachuk and Besser. As an all-around player, I prefer Kachuk. I like his defensive impact. I like his offensive impact. But at the same time, there are a lot of concerns about his finishing ability. He has the lowest goal scored above expected, uh, I think, for like the past two years now. And for the amount of chances he gets, he should be burying them more. Um, mm, it's interesting you pe-
0: say that because I had Kachuk a clear three. I had uh a blurred line between Shabbat and Besser but- Yeah.
2: I, I mm, as an all-round player I'll go kachuk but I, I don't I think you can hear an argument for Besser there um, just because Besser's finishing ability but all-round all play isn't great and then I have um, Shabbat but I think the three to five is very close I think you could have an argument for Shabbat at third because he is also a number one defenseman and then I have Stutzel just for right now because um, you know talented rookie all that stuff i didn't know if i didn't expect him to make the nhl honestly right out of his uh european play but he will be good um it's just a matter of when so okay so you
1: can easily if we do this list in like two years stutzel is anywhere from two to three to four
0: easily so the the core of this concept was and we'll make this quick if you could have either trio on your team right now which one would you take would you all say vancouver
1: I, I'm probably still taking Vancouver right now. Just again, like I said earlier, we know more about this trio. Um, Ottawa is more the mystery box. And so y- you go with what you know.
0: Okay. Patrick, can you name me the three best players on the Montreal Canadiens in this context? Uh, I'm not sure if that really matters. But for example, I, you know, you wouldn't put, I wouldn't put, uh, I don't know, JT Miller on this list. He's just not really in that in that age group, I guess. So three best players on the halves, in this context.
2: Um, I can start with defensemen because that's an easy one. I think you would have to go Jeff Petrie. Um, I think he is our, one of the best defensemen in the North division. He's having a much better season than Hughes, both offensively and defensively. Um, I think that's easy. I think Nick would probably agree. Um, forward is where it gets a little bit tricky. Um, I would have to say Brendan Gallagher. I know Brendan Gallagher is not the flashy I don't know. He doesn't play a nice way, but um, he's one of the best five on five play drivers in the entire league. Um, Only Ovechkin has a higher five V five goals per 60 rate than Brendan Gallagher. Um, Consistent 30 goal scorer. No one really talks about it because they're all greasy goals. But Brendan Gallagher is a top 15, arguably a top 10 right winger in the NHL. So I'd have to say Brendan Gallagher. After Brendan Gallagher.
0: Surprised Suzuki wasn't a shoe in here. I thought I don't think yet. Who else are you I mean, thinking about?
2: I find mean, it
1: interesting that a third overall pick from a couple of years ago isn't in this conversation.
2: Well, we that okay? You know what? Since we're talking about that, I wanted to say this debate for another web for another episode. I think Suns fans need to stop acting like Kachuk was the obvious pick at number three because he wasn't, and he wasn't the obvious pick at number four. Now I will. We don't have to get into this, but I, no one would deny that Kachuk is the better player right now. And any Habs fan who's saying Kachuk isn't the best player is is kidding themselves but Kachuk was not a consensus top 5 pick and neither was Kakniemi. The debate between 3 to 5 was Zadina Hughes um was Zidina and Hughes and then you had the possibility of Kachuk and Kakniemi joining. I, I think we can be, we, we we do have to save that for another one cuz I can yes. unload on that one right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah, um so for the third if I'm judging on this year alone I probably say it to Foley just because of his goal scoring pace. He's also another fantastic play driving winger. Um okay. but I'll go Gallagher Petrie and to Foley and maybe Anderson just because of his all-around okay, so impact a, on the game.
0: A bit older, but that's okay. So where, where do you see them slotting into the six that we've already talked about? Pedersen, Hughes, Kachak, Besser, Shabbat, Stutzla?
2: I think this year, Jeff Petrie's a better defenseman than Quinn Hughes. Um, I...
0: Mm,
1: it's, hard. it's It's probably more worth asking which three would you take? Like, would you take yeah, the Montreal let's, let's three over either think, of the other three?
0: Yeah. And I would my, my answer is probably not. No, I, I would, I would, I take think Patterson, Patterson just carries that much weight if I'm being honest. No,
2: yeah. I would, I would take uh, Gallagher over any of the forwards, not named uh, Patterson. Elias. Yes. Fair enough. Right now, right now I would take Gallagher over. Actually,
0: you know, I, I uh, that, that is tricky. That's a tough one. Um, but yeah, I will. Uh, oh, that's a really. I would probably agree with you. Yeah. Okay.
2: Gallagher's. No one talks about Gallagher, man. He's he's really underrated. And
0: the whole. I that, just off the top sad. of my head, I struggle to say Gallagher is clear and above Kachuk, but saying that also says, of course, he is. So that's that is a tricky but, one, Nick. Do you have any I, on that? I
1: still think yeah Gallagher is probably better right now I still think Brady Kachuk with a more consistent spot in his lineup more consistent line mates and stuff like that I feel like Gallagher's situation Montreal with um, Tatar and Deneau really suits him well and he's able to produce a lot I think Kachuk just really hasn't had any consistency in terms of his lineup spot at all in his NHL career but has taken good steps this year um, in terms of that so I think I think he can easily in about a year or so like be considered ahead of Gallagher in that Conversation
0: and who is your uh foley Toffoli. Um, Tafoli's having a really good year. That's that's tough because he's that's, that's again, this year, yeah. He's that's having a, that's a really a good right year now. this
2: year. If he can do this again next year, then like oh, I'm all for it. I okay. think the conversation gets a lot more interesting in a year or two when Caulfield comes up and if he ends up being the dynamic goal scorer, at the he, hit, for example,
0: it's a big if, but well, he
2: broke. Shattered let's just shattered they need let's, to get that
1: guy
0: in the lineup
2: yeah that's, that's but, their
0: last you know, like, like transaction right
2: but that's the thing it's like they're they're waiting yeah they have one call up left but this all could have been avoided because the day before the trade deadline they called up like four players from the taxi squad but they didn't have to do that if they just didn't call them up then you could have a bunch of call-ups and you're saving this one call up on your best player that you need it's like what's the point you only have one left you might as well use it on the guy that matters anyway luke go ahead
0: Let's quickly add the leafs to this conversation because why not? Matthews and Marner. I don't want to say Tavares. I I I just I don't, don't think he he fits into that conversation. Matthews Marner, who would be your third from the Leafs? And I'll be the first one to say, obviously you're going to take the Leafs trio, but how close would you say the other three are to that? But first, who is your third from the Leafs? You can't say Tavares.
1: Probably Nylander for me. Oh I think I, I, if like it, we got to balance out, like Tavares probably still is the third best forward on the Leafs, but I think it, like you'd say Nylander just because you got to balance mm-hmm. out the long-term um, short-term stuff, sort of like we did with all the other ones or at least tried to and um, and yeah, obviously you're taking the Leafs. I don't think it's particularly close, just because um as good as Elias Pettersson is, like uh, he he is like one player, and I don't think uh, Hughes has a very high ceiling. But I still just look at Matthews and Marner, and you Whoa. see two guys that are well over a point per game. Nylander is a really good 60, um, 60, 65 point guy. So I, I, I'm probably saying the Leafs trio, and it's not particularly close. But again, we we have to see what. Um, Hughes' ceiling ends up being Pedersen's very good. Um, I'd say he's better than Marner. He's not better than Matthews. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, Hughes and his development is what makes it close.
0: Go ahead. Hey,
2: f- funny you mentioned Hughes and Marner because I remember sending a clip from Overdrive or no, uh, Pedersen and Marner. The guys on Overdrive were talking about it and they were saying that Pedersen does not drive, play, or create stuff the same way Marner does. And I figured it would be unanimous amongst three of us that if you're picking a player, you're going to take Martin uh, Patterson, no matter what, but that got the attention at least Twitter who a lot of them said, Marner's is a better player. I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think any of us would disagree with it. It was the same debate when there was the Sebastian art, Sebastian Aho Mitch Marner debate. Um, you're taking the center, you're taking the guy who plays a more important position and yeah, I just think it's funny that. that yeah, it's it, it's
1: silly to rank uh, Marner ahead of Pedersen, in my opinion. I think they Marner's good, but
0: Pedersen's a lot better. Yeah, I agree, believe it or not. And I will say, for all the weight, I would say Pedersen carries Matthews is miles above that. So yeah. we'll we'll circle back next year. But let's not talk. Not a Leafs
2: defenseman though. We're not. There's no defenseman. There is no. That.
0: There. I think all teams. Yeah, the Leafs have the worst. If you pick the best defenseman from each team, the Leafs have the worst one. I think we'd all agree. Uh, Let's get away from the North Division for a bit, believe it or not. Let's talk Sidney Crosby with his 55th point yesterday. He is officially a point-per-game player for his 16th straight season. That's a stat you kind of have to read into because I, I kind of went back to players kind of in his, in his specific era. I looked at Ovechkin. you look at Stamkos? There, there's a few seasons where there are well below point per game players. So as Sidney Crosby, I, the question kind of is, it revolves around consistency. Sidney Crosby is without a doubt, one of the most consistent players of our generation of, you know, the, the past core of the 10 years when I think about that I also think of Patrick Kane I I mean McDavid's going to be in that conversation I wouldn't put him in that conversation quite yet so talking about players that have played for the past 10 years who do you guys think is in that conversation for most consistent is Sidney Crosby number one Nick
1: well first off I've got to say with Crosby it's Is it weird to say we don't talk about Sidney Crosby enough anymore, just because McDavid is as good as he is and gets talked about like McDavid deserves all the attention he gets. And I feel like we focus on now a lot of the up and coming players you know, Matthews gets a lot of attention in the league now. And then there's obviously all the up and coming guys around the league always Um, other guys like Ovechkin who are chasing history, get a lot of attention. But it, it just feels like to me, we don't talk about Sidney Crosby's consistency enough now. And sort of to the point where I was surprised the other day when I heard um, that he reached that point per game mark again. And I, I like we really shouldn't be surprised because he's Sidney Crosby and it, it, he just doesn't get talked about enough for me, it's, which I've, feels insane. To a Sidney. really
0: weird, I think, and I kind of try to figure it out and I've kind of pinned it on. He's he's not very he doesn't really put himself out there that much. Obviously he's very right. quiet. He doesn't have any social media. It's hard to sort of keep up with Sidney Crosby, but he's just, he's always been there. He's never, he hasn't kind of fluctuated. He's never really dropped off. He's like this, that proves it more than anything. People need to be talking about Sidney Crosby more. And I mean, I think we can all, all of us would have been like eight or nine years old. No younger than that. All talking about Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin entering the league there was so much hype around the two of them and there, I would say that hype has developed over the year for Ovechkin, but it kind of dropped off for no good reason when you talk about Crosby. So there's, I can't really pin it as to why it's interesting, but in terms of
1: consistency though, like I got to say, you know, Connor McDavid's consistency since he came into the NHL is something that's really remarkable, but I will say just for another player like Crosby, Patrick Kane, obviously he's been a point per game player and well over that now for years. And even when the Blackhawks um, have transitioned away from their superior spot on top of the NHL mountain, um, he's remained productive regardless, regardless of who's cycled through the Blackhawks lineup. And um, the fact that they were even in the playoff hunt for a lot of this year is because of Patrick Kane. So I in terms of like most consistent player, I think he's got to be right there. And Ovechkin deserves some mention that too, because that guy fills the net every single year.
2: Uh, yeah. And I think we really realized it when we did our top 10 centers, I think uh, before the season started. And I only, I think I was the only one who had Crosby as in the top three or top four. I think you guys had them just outside of the top five, which alone is bizarre, but yeah, I think for all the talk when, When Ovechkin and Crosby were going head to head in the playoffs and Crosby kept winning, Crosby kept winning the Cups, Ovechkin kept struggling, got to a point when people didn't really think there was a debate between who was the best all around consistent player. But then it got to the point now where Ovechkin was getting old in 2018. People who didn't like him, and I remember Friedman was talking about it on the From Alex to Obi documentary, that people didn't really want to see Ovechkin win. For the longest time they wanted crosby to keep winning because he was a little more humble he was a little more traditional hockey player but by the time ovechkin got older that's when they wanted to see ovechkin do well and obviously he won the cup but looking at like look at his stats from from when he went into the league like he had 102 points in his rookie season 120 the year after in 79 games played he's been well over a point per game his entire career he had 100 points in 2018. And Nick, Nick uh, hit the nail on the head, though. It's just because we have guys like McDavid and Matthews who are a little more active on social media, who are a little bit more, I think at this point, you could argue more exciting than Sidney Crosby. Sydney Crosby is a consistent point-producing guy, but you don't see as many highlight reel goals from him anymore. Um, I do think you can put Connor McDavid in there now. I, I Again, if it was just – if he had a slower start, I could hear the argument, but just what he did since joining the league. Another guy I want to mention, um, along with Crosby, he didn't have an immediate impact, but – it didn't take him long to get going was Evgeny Malkin two years ago, he was scoring at over a hundred, hundred point per game or over a hundred points, uh, season. He's been well over a point per game in just about every season, except for, I think two. So, um, that's another one that we just don't talk about that, that trio Latang as well. They're still good. And it's just Crosby not getting the attention. That's kind of sad. Cause you know, there's going to be a day when he, when he retires and he will always be like the best, you know?
0: I think, but I think for a guy like Crosby, you can kind of tell he doesn't really want the attention. He could very well have it if he wanted it. And there have been a lot of times over his career where it could be any kind of, anything comes up, any kind of issue. And I've kind of thought, I think we've talked about it on the show, but I've kind of thought, okay, Crosby should should say something. He very well is the face of uh, much of the league. and But, you know, that's a discussion for another time. Nick, I'm going to, I'm going to toss this whole thing to you. As I understand, you've got something fun up your sleeve.
1: Yeah. First, do we want to take a nice uh, quick break for some advertisements?
0: Good call, Nicholas. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, we'll be right back after this short break. When we come back, Nick will be at the helm. So who knows what, what that means? Uh, yeah, we'll be okay. back in a few. It's never good.
1: I've got it all here in this sheet of paper. Yeah, you hear that? That's for the Spotify, so you can hear it. Um, In case you're not watching on YouTube, just crumpled it. That is the paper right in front of me that is going to save the National Hockey League. It's going to save hockey across the world. It's going to give everybody money. It's going to help us out of the um, hurt caused
0: by the COVID-19
1: pandemic. You might not get money. We we might not get money, but the NHL is going to get money. Um, Okay. In light of the... Super league discussion that dominated talk on much of the sports world this week. Um, If you are a fan of sports or you are logged in to any social media and follow sports, you probably heard of the super league in the world of soccer slash football for our European viewers. I think we have a couple of those now Um, either way, the super league and the ramifications of that and what that all meant. I think everybody to some degree um, knew about it this week. It's, it's one of the biggest stories in sports in the past few years. Uh, Luke and Patrick, did you, did you guys get to read up on the super league?
0: I, I mean, like I, I understand what the champions, I understand how European soccer tournaments work and in a matter of like interleague competition, but as for how the super league comes into play, that's where I kind of got lost because it just kind of seems like a Champions League, but with the same X amount of teams every year. So I'm, I'm kind of half understanding.
1: Right. Well, it, it inspired me to think, well, what, what if we brought this into hockey in some way, some sort of European competition, perhaps a Super League of sort, would that be able to fly? So I've got here a proposal in which I would think, and I want your thoughts on this. Okay. And um, you suggest some ways that we can change this. And if you would like to even see this, I have organized here a 32 team tournament consisting of the best hockey clubs in the entire world right now would include eight from the NHL. So two best teams in every division on a normal year, or we can super league it. And it's the original six plus the two Stanley cup finalists plus six KHL teams, Four Swedish Hockey League teams, four Swiss Hockey League teams, four Finnish Hockey League teams, two Czech Hockey League teams, two German teams, and two miscellaneous spots that would consist of several leagues, such as um, the English Ice Hockey League, the Bulgarian Hockey League is highly rated, the Austrian Hockey League, and they would essentially fight for those last two spots every year and it would be given out. Altogether, you get a 32 team tournament. So just to give you an idea from an NHL perspective, what that would mean. I looked at the standings and I went back to 2019, 20 because that's the last time we sort of had some normal looking standings. And that's how the division alignment would work going forward. Um, if I went by the first format, the eight NHL teams would be Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, Philadelphia, St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, and Edmonton representing the NHL overseas or in North America being visited by these, uh, European clubs, guys, is this something you'd like to see? Do you have any interest in seeing the NHL and its teams and its players compete against athletes from other teams?
0: Yes. Um, this, yeah, this is really cool. And I mean, so there's a lot to unpack here, especially the two different versions you'd mentioned, uh, one being just the, the eight best NHL teams and one being the original six plus two, My initial reaction was no, don't don't let the original six play. But at the same time, if you did have them going every time this tournament was played, it would it would avoid the obvious problem of NHL teams just dominating. Aside from only like a few, a handful of KHL teams kind of putting up a fight. Uh, If if you had like who's a original six team this year that isn't doing Very well. If you had Detroit going, Detroit, I would assume. I and I don't know. I don't know how NHL teams match up to these to like a Finnish team. I would assume Detroit wouldn't beat all the Finnish team, but I don't know. So that the the original six is kind of cool, but then it takes away from it being the best of the best of the best. So you know, if you want like a a real legitimate Champions League or Super League style tournament. Uh well, Champions League, I guess. Then I would say just send the best eight NHL teams. But depending on the format of the tournament, you're probably gonna see those eight and best NHL teams go the farthest again with some competition from like CSK Moscow only. But it's it's very cool, I think. And I have a follow up question, but I'll I'll let Patrick here. Yeah, Patrick, uh, what's let's get thoughts your thoughts. First.
2: Yeah, I'm on. I'm definitely on board. Not so much for the matchups and just to see who would win, but just from a pure marketing uh, idea and seeing how the NHL could grow the game. We see the NHL try different things like the outdoor games or the NHL global series where they play. I don't remember they played last year. I think Philadelphia was, was it Sweden? I don't remember. Anyway, they do these global games, but they're not marketed very well. And I think actually doing a super league like this against SHL teams, against KHL teams, a team like CSKA uh, Moscow, which a lot of them are filled with ex-NHLers with and young guys who are extremely good. Um, for example, Kirill Kaprizov was playing against men, having NHLers travel around. I think this is a great idea. Um, I don't think I mean, it's likely that the NHL teams will be the ones to come out on top, but again, it's hockey. Hockey's kind of like pinball. You never know who could actually come out on top, but I think I'm I'm very much for this.
0: You could probably structure the tournament to encourage and, an, like as much chaos as possible. So yeah. <clears throat> maybe, right. maybe well, there is well, a way around that.
2: How that
1: would work and why it works in soccer, even though you've got a bunch of, you know, Premier League clubs from England playing perhaps against a team from Croatia and why sometimes it ends up being a lot closer than you'd think is because of the team turnover that would happen. So if this tournament were to take place in off weeks during the season or stuff like that, they schedule it into an NHL season. Presumably if let's say the Boston Bruins are going over to Russia to play against Akbars, they're going to want, they're probably not going to want to bring Patrice Bergeron if they've got a crucial stretch in their schedule coming up in the next week. So they'd probably sit him, leave him at home, call somebody up from the AHL maybe replace a couple guys, go over. Therefore, you're weakening the NHL team sometimes just to make sure you can get these games in. There's a lot more squad turnover. Um, And we can get into all the positives that there are. Luke, I know you said before you had a question. Yeah. So before I get into some of the positives, why I think this could work, let's hear your question.
0: Just hypothetically, if, say this happened... In, like, a well, I mean, a 32 team tournament would take a long time, but say this happened in a month in September, so you avoid the team turn, like the player management stuff like that. Would you rather see this than the NHL attend the Olympics? The
1: Olympics? You see, that's a tough, that's a tough, tough point because I think obviously I would. The, play- the players are going to want to go and represent their own teams. Yeah, but well, absolutely. Yeah. I think the NHL, from a pure money standpoint, it, like, it's clear and it's still clear in this day that they're uneasy risking a lot of these players, um, going overseas to compete. So I think this way, it's sort of a way around it. I think this is better than the world cup of hockey. This is certainly better than that. I think, um, I even went to a bunch of world cup of hockey games back in 2016 when it was in Toronto. Um, it, it was fine, but I think this is a much better, um, solution to that just because the nhl is going to reap a lot of financial benefit from that and you get to see these players on overseas stages patrick i know just on luke's olympic point that he made right before uh we took a break you sort of made a facial reaction that makes you think um perhaps differently than luke and i do on some of the details at least of the uh, potential champions hockey league why don't you take the floor
2: no, I don't, I don't disagree with the points you made, but from a fan perspective, I will just always have a love for the Olympics that will trump anything else. I think that's just a close second right after the NHL. Um, this might be a unpopular take. I liked the World Cup of Hockey. I didn't love the World Cup of Hockey. Um, I felt that... I agree. Team, team North America, the under-21, all that stuff. It's a bit too gimmicky really, for me. Yeah, I, I think I would agree. And like it, the... Habs obviously in hockey I watch religiously when NHL players are at the Olympics, we can think of the golden goal. I was really into that. And I know a lot of hockey people were, I didn't get that sense from the world cup of hockey when Canada won. I, I don't want to say I didn't care because it was exciting and it was a great atmosphere. I didn't have the same connection. I didn't have the same attachment. And I just don't know if I would have that for the champions league. Although if I were to rank them, I would go Olympics champions league. And then I think world cup of hockey, because I I just, I didn't love the world cup of hockey, but I think the champions league, I think it's a good idea. And I definitely on board. I just think Olympics takes number one for me.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's all, all uh, good points. I'll raise some um, things that I thought were overwhelmingly positive about this idea. And then if you guys think there's any downsides, feel free to point them out after Um, obviously. So, you know, we look at some of the clubs in the countries involved here and I think Um, for starters, you could raise one heck of a uh, money pool for the victor or those that uh, progress high into this competition. So um, basically how it would work with the 32 teams, you're assembling them into a group stage where they would play. um, They'd be in eight groups of four, so an NHL team per, and then you pretty much randomize it from there on, I think would pretty much even up the competition. And then you'd play in a knockout stage after with the two group winners from each group um and how that would work could depend you could do what it is in soccer and you could aggregate two games and do an aggregate score you could do a best of three or you could do a single knockout and that would pretty much progress all the way until you get to the final game which would be a one-off at a neutral venue which would i think would be kind of cool you pick a country to host it every year and then uh winner gets the prize pool of money and the champions league glory now, I think from a pure NHL and money point of view, you look at this. Obviously, there's money for the victorious teams, but I think the television contract here would be massive because not only are you landing, um, you know, NHL fans here. Perhaps you know TSN can sell some overseas fans onto um, buying their service and stuff like that. If they were to snag a contract, um, you're growing the game overseas, which I think the NHL has um, made a point of wanting to do. That's very big that you're getting these NHL teams exposed into some of these other countries um, in very high stakes games. Um, And additionally, I think one positive here that we can all take is that it provides a lot more career opportunity for some players. So if you are a third, fourth line guy in the NHL, even if you are that you're not really seeing any growth in your game in the NHL You still want to compete against the best. Maybe then you move to one of the European leagues and extend your career where you are a bona fide first, second line player there and then can compete in this tournament while competing domestically in those leagues as well. Same goes for guys like Datsyuk and Kovalchuk that have, you know, played out their later years or in the case of Kovalchuk, you know, his 30s in the KHL. And you still get to see these players and be exposed to them if you're um, NHL fans like us. I don't know if you guys have any other positives that you think of or what you think of any of those.
0: Well, so I think your last point there is really interesting. And I, I think it's really good. I hadn't really considered that. Um, So I'm all for that. I'm definitely all for growing the game in Europe. That is not just in Europe, just kind of everywhere. That's something the NHL has acknowledged they need to do, but they certainly need to be doing more where I can see issues is both the placement within the season and the the like length and format of the tournament i think there'd be a lot of logistical problems they'd have to work out i think because i like look yeah eight groups of four one nhl team in each and then uh you know most of them have a khl team and then if you don't you have a finnish and swedish like it, it'd be a bit of a well, I wouldn't say challenged. I mean, I guess every tournament has that. Getting, getting the teams grouped properly, but then just playing the games. That's where I think you'd run into problems. I really think for that first round, you would just have to do a one-game round-robin. Like, each team plays each other once, and then you take either the top eight or top uh, 16, so top one or two from each group, and figure out something to go there. Because assuming um, that initial round-robin takes a week, five days a week, And assume you don't want to go longer than I'd say a month at max for this tournament at absolute max a month. You'd have to kind of narrow that down pretty quick. I love the idea of a 32 team tournament, whether that many teams is feasible. I don't know, but I think that's where the biggest issues from this would come from is actually making this all happen with, you know, a certain degree of integrity that, that, that would see a, a successful tournament without just kind of jamming it all into into one small pocket of time that all the leagues have.
1: Now Patrick, you're a you're a prospects guy so i've got I've got a point here that maybe you could give some thoughts on that I um, thought of when I was outlining this. So back to my earlier point when I said you know if you are a guy playing further down an NHL lineup, but you still want to, you know, reap some sort of big financial reward or paycheck from playing in a tournament like this, you know, obviously now all these European teams, they're also going to get more money. They're going to be able to pay players more. And I think that would lead to, you know, rather than some veteran guys playing out their days in the AHL and being moved further into the lineup, you know, guys in their late twenties, just becoming AHL for lifers. Maybe they would go over, to Europe, and then therefore the AHL becomes even more of a development league than it already is. Is that something you would like, maybe, yes. in terms of you know for the growth of the game in North America?
2: Yes, a thousand percent. Um, I think the AHL, and every time I watch the more I watch AHL because I've been watching it a lot more this year with obviously the Rocket having success, the more I watch it, the more it's become a goon league, and I I, I honestly mean that. I think it's become a goon league, and you have guys like. Caulfield coming in, you have guys and other teams, minor league systems who want to develop, but you have these AHL grinders who are doing their best to earn a lineup spot up in the um up at the NHL. You look at a guy like Scott Sabron, who um we all know how he is in the AHL, ran guys like Caden Primo. He gets the call-up because they want that physicality. That's not what the AHL should be, be about. It should be about developing players, and yeah, there's room for veterans, but I think having those veterans step aside, make the AHL a pure skill. Development League, I think, is is the best option. The only other thing, though, which is the other point about fourth-line guys and stuff like that going to the tournament, as a viewer, and I remember we talked about this in our law class about NHL players going to the Olympics if you had less skilled guys, AHL guys, or fringe guys go to the Olympics or go to this tournament. You're not going to bring in the viewership because people only want to see the best of the best. They don't want to see the fourth-line guy. That's the only problem I think you could run into. But as far as your AHL Development League point, I think you're spot on. And I think we need more room for just prospects to develop. Um, Obviously, room for older guys, but not, but uh, again, not a full-on Goon League.
0: You raise a good point, again, about um, players that, that haven't really found a place in the NHL going to Europe so they can play in this Champions League. Do you think that could turn around and bite, I guess, the NHL in the back? Because... For example, like who's a uh, Ka- kaprizov What if he never came across <laughs> because what if he never came to the NHL because he was getting that experience? like he, he was, yeah, maybe he wasn't super happy in the KHL, but he was at least getting that Champions League experience and that kind of that was good enough for him. you know there's a lot of players that that maybe would go the other way. a, a lot of maybe European players that would say, oh, if, if the Champions League is the thing, then I'm going to go play in Europe where I'm still going to get that, that NHL and high-caliber experience while I'm playing where I'd rather be playing. So now, now that I think about that and that little back and forth you guys just had kind of brought that up, maybe, maybe that initial point I, I would have a different opinion on because I do think that could go both ways. You'd get a lot of players that haven't had a place in the NHL going to Europe, but you'd also get a lot of players that would rather be in Europe, go to Europe, because now they have this this middle ground where they can do both play in Europe and play high-caliber hockey. I still think the
1: NHL has a sizable advantage just on how much they can pay guys and the amount of exposure and, you know, sponsorship opportunities that the NHL has. And I think that is a big part of it. Um, you know, facilities-wise, the NHL is still, you know, vastly above anything that there is currently in Europe. But when you're growing the game in Europe, I think the thing you got to take into is that, You know, now, even right now in the NHL, there are more good hockey players at this point in time than there ever have been in history. And it's only going to go and continue. And hockey players playing in the NHL, the average hockey player is only going to continue to be a better athlete than they were the previous year. That's just how it works. So I think when you expand into Europe and sort of help to make these leagues competitive more competitive with the NHL, you're finding a place for all of these athletes that are good, that would normally be displaced by the current system in the hockey world, which I think is an overwhelming positive in that sense. And I think, you know, even though it presents like a threat in terms of prospects or decent players leaving, I think it just balances it out because there are so many good hockey players now that don't even get a sniff in the NHL just because of certain things.
2: Yeah, that's tough. And I also think that number of guys that don't come over, like you can find lists of the bet, like someone like Tretiak, for example, never really played in the NHL. He was amazing overseas. How many guys like that who could have an amazing NHL impact exist, right? I think guys come to the NHL, they see if they can make it. There are top prospects that we think want to play in the NHL. Um, that, come, that don't even necessarily come from Europe. That could be coming from uh, different minor hockey leagues that are unsigned or undrafted. They see if it works. And a lot of those guys, after it doesn't work, they go right to Europe because they know they can get a spot there. So a guy like Charles Hudon, who, who I thought would be a consistent NHL player, didn't work. And this happens with, with all teams. A guy like Nikita Sashnikov in Toronto, um, again, out of Europe. It didn't work. He goes back to Europe. Um, the only one I can really think of, aside from Kaprizov, would be Kobachuk, who, again, decided to leave and his contract end his contract because they're still paying him, but then go right back to New Jersey. But I think, or uh, Russia, but um, I think players want to be in the NHL and I think they know it's the best league possible to be. And that doesn't mean you can't also grow those other leagues.
1: I think one that would stick out now that, you know, a player that would make a situation like this interesting in his particular case, we might see more like it. Is a guy like Mike Hoffman, who sort of, you know, it, it was pretty apparent heading into the trade deadline this year that there was a lot of rumors around him and St. Louis wanting to move on. Um, and obviously a lot of people have pointed out that he is disruptive in the locker room or a bad presence around a bunch of NHL teams here, even though he's a good hockey player and continues to score a lot of goals, um, even for St. Louis now. So maybe a guy like that, somebody in that situation, you know, good hockey player might not be wanted in the NHL, even as soon as this summer maybe at his age, and he's still only about 30 years old, would be able to move over to the KHL, forge out a productive career and earning there, and then still be able to compete against NHL teams. I think like an interesting dynamic like that sort of brings a different nuance to hockey. And I think at least right now in a time where the NHL is tight on money and is exploring all sorts of sponsorship opportunities in the future and sort of needs to just raise cash in some way, I think this is at least something for the growth of the sport financially and you know in terms of people maybe something that needs to be explored by somebody
0: maybe they're listening they probably are listening so there you go when this happens in five years nick robinson is the man to thank okay so that'll do it for us today from take to Take episode 62 we want to thank everyone again for listening Uh, a lot of a lot of hypotheticals covered today again we want to remind everyone to follow our twitter account at take to take radio on twitter and uh give all of our personal accounts a follow while you're there as well thanks again for listening everyone we'll see you later on in the week until then take care